So I throw him another curveball just because it's February and, you know, last week was uh, Valentine's Day and so I did that for him. And if you're at a place right here and you're like, man, what is the Pina Colada song doing at church? I promise there's a reason for absolutely everything that we do here. There really is. Uh, and, and, and just to set you up and warn you, you know, in the summer we do a thing called Psalm Songs. And we do a song every single Sunday morning as it relates to the psalm that we're about to preach on. And I had somebody talking to me this past week, and they said, you know, you said that like the first or second time that I was here at the church, and I came for the psalm songs, and and I was listening to it, and you said that what's going to happen is we're going to take a song that you've heard before, connect it to a psalm that you know, and every time you hear this uh, this song from now on, you're going to think of that psalm, and I thought you are crazy and out of your mind. He said, and I'm telling you right now, every single time this particular song, whatever it was, comes on the radio, my brain immediately goes to that message that Sunday morning, and it connects. And that's what I wanted to do with this one. I I want to assure you I wasn't just driving around in the car and going, oh, wow, this would be really cool. I'd like to hear the worship team do that on Sunday morning just because, just for fun. No, the truth of the matter is, today I want to talk about marriage. Last week we talked about marriage, and next week we're going to talk about marriage. Our, so, uh, our series right now is Inconvenient. What is it that is inconvenient that will make a great marriage? And if you're sitting here going, oh, no, marriage again. We understand marriage. Great, then you need to hear this. And if you're saying, I'm not married, great, you need to hear this. And if you've come from a place where you were married, great. You need to hear this. We preach a whole gospel here. We're not going to just only touch on a few things. We're going to touch on a lot of things. And so as I was thinking about marriage and I was thinking about what it is, I was thinking about that song. And so I hit up Jesse and I said, Jesse, can you guys do this? Can you put this together in, in, you know, in a week? And she's like, yeah, we can do that. We'll give it a shot. She said, seriously, you want to do the Pina Colada song? I said, yeah, it's a song about this couple. You know, they almost broke up and stuff. She said, it is not because she keeps me straight and relevant. I said, it's not. She goes, it's a cheating song. I said, what? I said, no. It's like, do you like me in your collage? She goes, yeah. He's cheating on his wife. She's laying in bed next to him. He's reading the newspaper. He sees the ad. He's tired of this one, and he decides he wants another one. So he's bored. He's looking for a little action. So he goes ahead, and he puts an ad in the paper, or he answers the ad in the paper, and then she shows up. They're both cheating on each other. And you and I, we think, oh, it's a cute song. It's a great song. So when you're singing it and you're dancing, just remember you're celebrating cheating, not monogamy and staying together. (laughs) Have you ever been there? You're singing a song and it's like, oh yeah, this is a great song. I saw a commercial. Those of you that have been here long enough have heard me say this before. I saw a commercial one time and this guy got off a bus and he twirled around and there was like children sitting in a circle on the grass. And he said, I had a million dollars once, but I... Spent it all. And I said, Mama, download that song. What is it? And I, you know, I got my little Shazam out and I downloaded that song and I'm singing the song while I'm driving around. And finally, you know, the worship leader, Jesse, hears me singing that song. She said, What are you doing? I said, Man, it's a great song. It's about a little kid sitting in a circle and a guy had a million dollars. She said, It is not. It's about a man that's going to bust a cap in his girlfriend said, you are out of your ever-loving mind. She said, listen to the words you're saying. (laughs) I had to back up. 
It's a song about a guy's going to bust a cap from his 45 in the girl that ran off and cheated on. It's like, oh my, see, we listen to these things and then we take them for granted and we just go through the motions and we do the things I thought, if I'm going to preach about marriage, what a great song. Because here's a couple that stopped communicating with each other. And I'm telling you right now that in, in a relationship, just, just set marriage aside for a second. This might be a, a relationship you're in. It could be a relationship between you and your, your mom and your dad. It could be, okay, in a relationship, the single most important thing, are you ready for this? It's not hard. It's communication. It really is. It will solve a lot of woes. And listen to me, and I know this couple in this song, they're not communicating. If they would communicate, they would know that they like making love down on the dunes by the beach and not getting arrested, okay? That's very important, but obviously they probably have read a little Song of Solomon, you know, out in the woods. Out, okay, never mind. Okay, but seriously, these are things that they should know about each other if they were communicating. If they were communicating, he would know that she likes champagne and pina coladas and, and, and please, no yoga. No, no. And if you like yoga, that's great. I love that you like yoga. That's good for you, but not for us, okay? We're going to be fat, dumb, and happy and die. It's, it's all good. But listen to the words of this song as you're singing it. It's like, man, we're dancing and celebrating cheating. I mean, I'm glad that it comes around. But that's what's going on. And that's why marriages get dry and empty and I'm just not happy anymore. And, and people, we fell out of, nobody ever fell out of love. You don't fall out of love. You don't fall in love. Okay, you fall in lust and you fall out of lust. You do. But love is a verb and we'll get to that later. Okay, but let's just talk about this. Great marriages are inconvenient. You want a great marriage? Listen to me. It's going to be inconvenient. That's our word, right? God is going to bring you to places through 2019 where you are going to be brought to an inconvenient circumstance. It's going to be a Y in the road. It's going to be a T in the road. You are going to be brought somewhere where it's inconvenient and you have to make a decision. Pull over and help change that person's tire. Stop what you're doing and buy that person coffee. Sit down and talk with that gentleman, that, that lady, whatever it is. Go up and encourage somebody instead of sit back here and go, man, give me 10 minutes with that child and I'll have it straightened out. I'll tell you what her problem is. Okay, instead of doing that, maybe walk up and say, hey, you know what? We've raised our kids and I just want you to know it gets better. Just hang in there. You're in the tough years. We're going to talk about inconvenient child rearing, okay, in a couple of weeks. But right now we're talking about marriage. And you can make a difference. And the concept of being inconvenient means to have a great marriage, it's going to mean inconvenience to you. And we want to talk about that. That's why I wanted to start with that, okay? I really did. You know, February is the month of love and Valentine's Day and, you know, billions and billions of dollars get spent on chocolate and little red cards and heart things and stuffed animals and all kinds of crazy things, okay? billions and billions of dollars and so you might begin to understand it well then evidently love must be about what i can buy and get and give and I'm, i mean seriously i mean i was just processing this maybe i can just throw it out there isn't that like what prostitution is about you know money and and love and money and love and money and love and it's like so we've got to understand there's really more to love than than money and buying stuff for people okay there really is and so i want to talk about this today i want to talk about it from ephesians chapter five and i want to pick two words that are in Incredibly caustic, okay, and very 
very inconvenient. In our world today, these, world, these words, people don't like them. People don't like these words. But let's, let's just begin. Let's get into the word. Father, we just ask and pray, Holy Spirit, you come on us. Let these words shake our hearts. Let them wreck us where our relationships are concerned. In Ephesians chapter 5, beginning of verse 21, it says, Submit! Oh, my word, there's that word. Well, Pastor Joe, I don't, I don't think I believe in submitting. Well, you live in a country that doesn't believe in submitting. I'm not going to submit. Hey, move, I was here first. Hey, I better hurry up and get mine before everybody else gets theirs, and then there's none left, and I got none, and I got none, and everybody else got some. We live in a world that's just claw ourselves over everybody's back to make sure that you're the winner. See? Nobody wants to submit. If you smack me, I'm going to smack you twice. If you push me, I'm going to knock you down and stomp on your face and just swear you got run over by a tow truck or something. I mean, you know, we live in a world where we are just going to do this to people. Nobody wants to submit. Nobody wants the humility to come in that just says, you know what, why don't you go ahead? I mean, come on. Then you're walking into Texas Roadhouse, right? It's Friday night, and you can't hardly get in the door. Let's just be honest, right? And there's people behind you. And let's just pretend you're a guy, okay? Some of you, listen, you got to up your game. And you reach over and you grab the door, and there's a woman and her family behind you. What are you going to do? You know, it's like 6.30 and the line's getting long in there. And if I open this door and I let them eight people in front of me, that's eight people in front of me. Man, I, no, no submitting. I'm going through the door. We're having Texas Roadhouse tonight. We're not waiting until 10 o'clock tonight to get it. You know, or you open the door and you're like, hey, no, go ahead. And they're kind enough when they get inside, they're like, hey, you know, you held the door for us. Go ahead up there. It's all, it's all good. But we don't always like to submit. We hate those words. But I want you to understand it says in verse 21, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. You're a Christian? Submit to one another. Let's just don't go a whole lot further than that just for a split second, but submit to one another. That means let the other person go first. That means give the other person precedent. Give the other person opportunity. That means, go ahead, I'm out here. If I don't get anything, I'm okay with it. Let them go first. Submit to one another. Each of us, male, female, doesn't matter. Each of us should be submitting to each other because of our relationship to Jesus. If you're a Christian in here, because of our relationship to Jesus, we should be submitting to each other. No, really, what would you like to do? No, I don't know. What would you like to do? No, I want to do this. Well, that's, I don't know. Okay, well, let's do something here together. Let's submit to one another. And then it goes on. In relationships to spouses, wives, submit yourself to your own husband as you do to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church's body, of which he is the Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also should wives submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In this same way husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies he who loves his wife loves himself after all no one ever hated their own body but they feed and care for their body just as christ does the church for we are members of his body for this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife and the two will become this is important one flesh and i don't think that means just they'll they'll have intercourse i don't think it just means that their bodies will come together because there's something more spiritual about having sex it's their bodies coming together it's their emotions coming together it's their relationships coming together it's their spirituality coming together there's a lot more to it than just plain sex 
And then he goes on to say, but this is a profound mystery. But I'm talking about Christ and the church. However, each one of you must also love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. So there's another word, respect. We're called to respect each other. We're called to honor each other. We're called to listen to one another. We're called to interact with one another. We're not called to win the argument. We're not called to approach the argument in order to win the argument. We're not called to lord it over each other. We're not called to be dictators. I love that it says, um, wives, submit to your husband as unto the Lord. Okay? And so we got like a, two verses there, and then we got like a paragraph to the men. But I love that Jesus left his throne in heaven. I mean, he literally left his throne in heaven. So how did Jesus, how did Jesus love the church? He did it by giving up his role as God and coming down here and taking on the form of a human. He came alongside of you and I, and he walked with us through this world. And that's like really important to understand because I meet so many people and they're like, listen, I'm the man of this house and I'll tell you how it's going to be because the husband's supposed to be the head of the wife because the Bible says that. It says, love your wife the way Christ loved the church. And he didn't come down here and say, listen, I'm down here. Y'all better be doing what I say because I'm in charge. <laughs> he came down here and he took up a towel and he washed people's feet. He came down here and he touched lepers. He came down here and he healed a woman with an issue of blood. He came down here and he healed blind people. He came down here and he upset the religious standard. He wrecked it. He came down here because he said the Son of Man came to be served, excuse me, came to serve, not to be served. And yet how many men, come on guys, how many men think, listen, I'm home, you need to do this and you need to do this and you need to do this and you need to do this. See? We've got the wrong idea, and the Scripture lays it out. We're called to submit to one another. We need to do this before we go any further in that Scripture. We're called to do that, and it's incredibly, incredibly important. All right? The word submit means to accept, yield to a superior force or to the authority or to the will of another person. And it's that last one, to the will of. We come together in a relationship, and we're going to submit to one another. It's not going to be just my way. It's not going to be just your way. It's going to be our way. We, two, two people cannot become one person if there is not some sort of change taking place in the relationship. And it's incredibly important for us to remember that. The three things that I want to talk about this morning are this. The inconvenience of a vow, the inconvenience of compromise, and the inconvenience of love itself. Those three things. You want a great marriage? You can apply this to relationships. You want a great relationship. Okay, I'm not talking about romantic. I'm just saying, if you, do you want to have a great relationship with people? Okay? Well, in a marriage specifically, it starts with an inconvenient vow. Very, very inconvenient vow. And it is crazy to me how many people will just pass over that vow the same way we pass over the concept of the Pina Colada song when we're singing it, and we, we forget that this is a cheating song. It's celebrating cheating. Again, thankfully, it didn't like end bad. It ended fairly well, but accidentally, right? And so we, we, we gloss over these vows. 25 years of, of doing marriages, okay? I had one couple bring their vows to me. We're going to write our own vows. It's like, oh my word, Lord, where is this going? You know, and maybe you're in here going, well, we wrote our own vows, and I'm telling you, you swept her off her feet. That woman was captivated by my vows at my wedding. Well, I hope so. 
You know, <laughs> I hope so. I'm just saying, okay, one person brought me their vows. It's like, you're my best friend. Man, I don't want to go through life without you. I love you more than anything. You're the prettiest thing I ever saw. And, and it just went on and on. And there was no vow to it whatsoever. It was just like, I'm about to say I do to nothing but I just want you to know you're the most awesome thing I ever saw. And I said, you know, can you take this back for me? Because you have to be real polite when you're the pastor. Could you guys take this back and maybe include some like God and Jesus in it and before God? And um, maybe there could be an, an actual vow in it somewhere. Like I promise to love, honor, you know, that, you know, just that kind of stuff. And they're like, yeah, we can do that too. It's like, okay, that'd be great. I will not do a wedding that does not have a vow in it. A vow to God before all of our family. I won't do it. Okay? But this is what we say. For better, for worse. For richer, for poorer. In sickness and in health. Here it comes. Okay? And I'm not here to throw rocks at you. I'm just setting the ideal from Scripture. This is the ideal. It is the mark that we are called as Christian people to shoot at. Till death do us part. There it is. That's what you, that's the vow. It's an inconvenient vow. You know why? Because most people are like, yes, yes, it's going to get better. We're going to get richer. We're going to get healthier. Life is going to be good. We're going to go through stuff. Yeah. They don't think poorer, sicker, right? They don't think these things without, they don't, they don't think that. That's never going to happen to us. So they just go right through those vows. And it happened. I just kind of took to doing a wedding. And in the middle of a wedding, if you've ever been one that I've done at, just in the middle of the wedding, I just stopped the wedding. Do you promise to love, honor, and cherish to be faithful to her alone till death you apart? Yes. Repeat after me. Okay? In sickness and in health, for richer, for poorer. Okay? And whatever the other one is. Okay, there we go. And so we say these things. And I stop and I say, okay, stop. Look at me. And they're like holding hands like, oh, man, this is so great. You know, I love you. And, I, and when I say, okay, now look at me, they're like, you know, like, we're going to the pastor's office. We're in trouble. You know? And the whole audience will be like, they're holding their breath. It's like, are you about to end this wedding or are you going to finish this wedding? It's like, what's going on here? And, and I just stop them. And I just simply say, listen to me for a second. Do you understand what you just said? Well, yeah. I said, no. Do you understand what you just said? Okay? For richer, for poor. Sickness and health. What was the other one? You have to talk louder than that. Thank you. Better or worse? Richer or poor? I love you for it. Uh, sickness and in health. Okay? And then I, I say, do you know that it can get worse, you can get sicker, and you can get poorer? And you just made a vow before God and everybody in this room that he is going to hold you to. You will be held accountable for that. I'll show you that in a second. That you said that, and if you don't keep that, may God himself come after you. Make your life miserable. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Uh, you know, at that point, they're like, do I even want to finish this out now? Because I don't know. God's coming after me, you know. It's like, no. And, and I do the same thing to the bride when she stops and she looks at me. And all I want to do, and I've done five weeks of marriage counseling, or, you know, somebody else in this building has, but we've done five weeks of marriage counseling, but there's a place to stop and say, don't just breeze over this. This is an inconvenient vow. Love, honor, and cherish. You are going to make them feel like the single most important person in the world. And honestly, if that's not your goal, stop the relationship right now don't go any further when young men came and said hey can i date your daughter it's like are you going to make her feel like the most important man in the world yes sir and then i asked my daughter did he make you feel like the most important person in the world yes he did good job and i am so thankful for the sons-in-law that i have so thankful 
because my daughters feel absolutely adored. But it started with a vow. And I'm going to be honest with you. Man, I was on, I, I, okay, sooner or later, I just have to like say some things like this, okay? All right, so I'm just going to say it, get the elephant out of the room, okay? But, okay, I, I drive a sports car. I drive a Corvette. It doesn't make me any better than anybody else. It's just fun. But I was on a forum last night because I couldn't sleep because my wife is out of town. She's preaching up in Midland, Michigan, and I'm codependent, and I can't sleep when she's not in the room. I, I dare. I put it out there. I don't have a problem with being codependent. It's not wrong. You can't be two become one if you're not codependent. Okay? So I woke up at 1.30, and I couldn't get back to sleep, and I thought about her, prayed about her, and I thought, I'm just going to go on the forums online and see what's going on. And, and somebody just posted, and they said, wow, you know, my wife said she hates my car. What do you guys think I ought to do about that? And I'm telling you, man after man after man after man said, man, it's going to be hard to get a new wife, but go ahead and do it, I guess. What the heck? Seriously, that is what it said. Man, there's plenty of fish out there, man. Just go get you another one, man. I dump a girl did that to me. That's my car. Listen, and, and I just thought I had had enough. My wife says, why are you always looking for a fight? It's like I was looking for a fight last night, okay, because my wife wasn't home and I can't sleep. But, but I just said, hey, this is the deal. And I just went on there and said, you know what? It will be a cold day before I let my possession of something stupid wreck a relationship for somebody that loves me desperately. That's just where I am in this right now. I said, and here's the other thing. I made a vow. I said, you know what's missing from this country? Something called integrity. I said, because a vow requires integrity. You have to keep the vow in order to be a person of integrity. I'm going to tell you right now, for no reason whatsoever, I believe that a man is responsible for 75% of the atmosphere in the house. And I don't mean the paintings on the wall and the, the flowery decorations, okay? What I mean is, I think in the relationship, in the house of the relationship, that a husband is responsible for the wooing and the encouraging and the, the, the making it worthwhile and going to the dunes by the cape at midnight and, you know, things like that. Um, I, see, that's what I think. And I think a husband has a responsibility to do that. So when I see people say, man, I, I dump her. It's like, you know what? It's a car. For crying out loud, it's a car. I promise you, God forbid it should happen. But I would rather live in a cardboard box under the overpass with my wife than live without her. Because I made a vow. And I am going to die keeping that vow. Not to stay in the house. No, anybody can stay in the house. I'm a chaser around the house well now that the kids are gone before it was around the room you know it's like no around the house i got the whole house i got the dunes by the cape baby you know have you read the song of solomon it's like just don't get arrested because none of the leos that go to church here will admit knowing you if you get arrested for that okay and i don't blame them i'm just telling you I'm going to chase her. I'm not satisfied with providing for her, living with her, taking her to dinner. I am going to love her, make her feel important, make her feel special, because I made a vow to love, honor, and cherish her. And you know what? I actually read it and processed it out to the point that I said, is there a woman in this church that I would marry that I want to do that and I said, yeah, it's her. It looks like I'm going to be waiting about four years, and that's a whole other sermon. But it was, <laughs> yeah. I didn't do anything illegal. Knock it off. Okay? I just waited. All right. But it's important. 
because my word is my vow and, and I have to be there. Paul says, when I was a child, I acted like a child. And listen, sometimes it's important for us to grow up. It really is. We've got to not just get older. It's time for us to mature as we get older. And that means that that vow has got to mean something because we're going to be held accountable for it. Jesus says in Matthew 12, a good man brings good things out of the good stored up in him and an evil man brings evil out of the evil stored up in him. But I tell you, and this is the important part, that everyone will have to give an account on the day of judgment for every empty word they've spoken. For by your words you'll be acquitted and by your words you'll be condemned. And listen, you're only saved by the blood of Jesus. But don't think that the Lord's not going to bring those words and those vows and those promises back. Jesus told us himself, he says, it's better if you don't make a vow than that you make a vow to God and you break it. Because you're accountable. Now listen, I'm not throwing rocks. There's an ideal. But we've got to shoot for that ideal. And we can't shoot for that ideal only if it makes me feel good or only if it makes me comfortable. Okay, because marriage is inconvenient. It really is. Inconvenient vows mean I will die, literally, to keep my word. That's what a vow is. And it's inconvenient, and it's important. The second thing is that a great marriage is established through compromise. Now, we don't, we don't always like that. Who's in charge of the relationship? That's what we want to know. I want to know who's in charge around here. People come into this church all the time. Hey, who's in charge? It's like, do you mean who's the pastor? Because there's a lot of discussion about who's really in charge around here, okay? But do you want to know who the senior pastor is? We'll tell you, okay? Just qu talk quietly in his office and make him happy. But, but we all want to know that. I took one of my, my uh, children when they were very young to their kindergarten assessment um, um, test. You go in and the teacher says, listen, you can come in here if you don't give away the answers to your child. It's like, some of you parents, I mean, why do they say that? Why do kindergarten teachers say that? Because some of you parents are competitive. In the woodhouse, you'd be like, hey, your name begins with a J. Put a J there. Put a J. You know, it's like, no, sit in the back and be quiet. And so, you know, she's giving him something to do, and he's writing, and he's writing on his little papers, and it's funny, and watching him, but we had to be quiet. Um, and so we're back there. And all of a sudden, for no reason whatsoever, he looks up and he says, hey, are you the boss? And she said, excuse me? And he goes, are you the boss? I mean, we're talking about a seven-year-old kid. Are you the boss? You know, and he, he's kind of adamant. He needs to know. Are you the boss? And she goes, well, uh, uh, I, yeah, I guess I am. I'm the boss. And he goes, okay. And he goes right back to finishing what he's doing. It's just in our nature. We want to know who's in charge. Who's the boss? Who is it? And marriages are no different. Relationships are no different. But they have to be established through compromise. I meet so many people that it's like, you are you and I am me and we come together, but we never lose our identity or, or who we are and we never do this and we never, we never lose whose we are. Listen to me. If you can enter into a marriage relationship and you can say, but I'm still going to be me and nothing's going to change about me, you are not entering into a marriage relationship. You are entering into cohabitation even after the vow. That's all you're doing. Because becoming one flesh is about doing this. See? And the only way for two people to become one flesh is if something changes. And it changes when you compromise. This is the life. This is what I'm thinking. This is where I'm going. This is my life. It's where I'm going. We're going to bring our two lives together, but we're going to keep going that way. It's like you can't do that. You've got to compromise. Oh, okay. I guess we're going to go this way. Yes. We sit down and we have a discussion. We work it out. We process it. And here's the deal. It's, it's, it's great. Because compromise, the part of compromise that's inconvenient is you're probably not going to get your way. 
But that's the part in the one before where it's time for us to grow up. Not just mature, I mean, excuse me, not just get older, but actually mature. We want to know who's in charge, who makes the most, who handles the money. Time and time again, couples will come into my office and say, hey, we want to get married. You say, okay, and we get to the place where we're talking about financial resources. Or they'll come in and say, hey, we're having marriage problems. And this is what we'll say. He has his bank account that his money goes in. She has her bank account that her money goes in. And then we both dump into the pot, or they pay this, and I pay this. I'm just going to tell you right now, when you do that, okay, you don't have to agree with me. But I'm telling you, it's the truth. When you do that, what you're saying is we're going to keep a chasm in our relationship to one another. We're going to keep from doing this because we're not going to put our money together. Do you see? You just made money more important than the vow that you took and you gave your heart away. No, I did not. <laughs> yeah, you did. And you can call me out on Monday for it right in my office. That's exactly what you did. Because what you're saying is, I'm going to enter this relationship with the understanding it's probably going to fail and I want to make sure I save my money. I want to make sure I save me. I want to make sure that I protect me. You have no intentions of becoming bonded, of coming together and becoming one. You're working so hard to make sure that does not happen, that you are shooting your relationship in the proverbial foot. The very thing that you long for is the very thing that you yourself are making sure does not happen. If there's an area of your life that you are not communicating, you are not bringing together as a husband and wife, that you are not making one, to the degree that you're not doing that is to the degree that you are still keeping yourselves apart from one another. Because you don't, here it comes, trust each other. And the only reason you don't trust somebody is because there's an integrity issue in a previous relationship, in a previous situation, and you're bringing it into the relationship. Genesis says that Adam needed help. He was in charge. Genesis, the book of Genesis says that God looked down from heaven and saw that he was less than, he was in need, he was alone. But it doesn't say that he needed somebody to boss around. It doesn't say he needed a prostitute. It doesn't say he just needed somebody to sleep with. It, it doesn't say that at all. It says that um, no suitable helpmates, somebody that comes alongside of you like the Holy Spirit, was found for Adam, so let's make him a helper, somebody to walk alongside of him. And, and in doing that, compromise is inconvenient because you don't always get it your way. In the book of Philippians, Paul said, Make my joy compete, excuse me, fulfill my joy by being like minded, having the same love, being of uh, one accord, of one mind. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others as better than yourself. Let each one of you look out, not for your own interests, but also the interests of others. So before Eve shows up, there's, there's Adam down there, and he's like, Giraffe, giraffe, you're a giraffe. Everybody's a giraffe, you're a giraffe. Everybody's a giraffe. And he's doing that, and finally he's like, No, you're an alligator. No, Oh, you're a lion. Oh, hey, you're a tree. And then you're the bluebird of happiness. And then Eve shows up. Oh, my word. Not only did she show up, but she had an opinion. Oh, serious? You know, she's going to show up and have an opinion while I'm trying to do what God said. And, and you're going to have to say, no, Eve, just be quiet and follow me around and do what I say. Bluebird, bluebird, yellowbird. Okay, no, that's not what was going on at all. But she certainly had an opinion. And while Adam was the leader, he was not the dictator. And some of you are confusing that bad. He is the leader. Come follow me. Not the dictator. 
whack, get it done. There is a huge difference. Listen to me, I can build a deck. And I love to build deck. Eve had an opinion. You may not know this, my wife has an opinion. Let's all just have a vow that anything that's said at the vineyard stays at the vineyard while she's gone, okay? But I love to build decks. Man, I really do. I get out there and saw and cut and cut. And at the house we lived at before, I was out building a deck and I and, uh, just decided I wanted to do that. And man, I had about $4,000 worth of lumber spread around. It was going to be like a 750 square foot deck around the pool and it was going to be great. And I was going to build it for her. I was so excited. And she came out while I was putting the superstructure up and she stood there and she said, what are you doing? I said, nothing. She said, you're building a deck. I said, for you. But I know she's got an opinion, so I said, won't you just go ahead on back inside? And she said, what's it going to look like? I said, a deck <laughs> where you could lay out with your daughters, get some sun. She said, but tell me what it's going to look like. It's like, oh, no, no, don't ask me that. And I said, well, this is what I'm going to do. Well, show me your picture. Show me your paper. I said, I don't have one. Well, how do you know what you're going to do? I don't have a paper because I don't want her to change my paper. That's really why I don't have a paper. I know what I'm going to do. I speak deck. I can do it without the paper. It's not a problem. Well, why don't you show me? Why don't you go inside and uh, get me a pencil and paper? And I will. You know, and I cut faster. Like I can get more done before she comes back out because she's hustling. She wants to know what it's going to look like. And when I draw it up, she's like, oh. It's like, oh. This is a nice deck. She has an opinion. You know what would be really nice? Yes, if you'd go back in and get some iced tea. Yeah. But you don't say that out loud, okay? This doesn't leave us. I'm trusting you, like small group, okay? And so she, I say, no, what? Well, if you put some stairs here, and if you did this, and if you did that, and you had a rail, it's like, yeah, no, it's not happening. Listen, I got $4,000 worth of, I'm going to build a deck. You're going to love the deck. What do you want? You want to lay out on a deck, right? I'll build you a deck you can lay out on. It's going to be great. And so I got all these poles sticking up everywhere. They're like eight, ten feet in the air. And she doesn't understand. I'm going to put lamps on them so they look like little street lights. And they're going to be hooks and she can put her flowers on. It's going to be beautiful. And she's like, well, it would really be nice if you do this. And it's like, no. She goes, I just can't see it. I said, I know. That's why I'm building it. She goes inside. You know what I do? Change the plan. A, because I'm a smart man, <laughs> and I said forever, <laughs> and I want to sleep on the deck too sometimes, but not because I have to, and that never happened in my house ever, okay, but I'm just saying, and so I make it the way she wants. I built her a house in Oklahoma, and she came up, and the carpenters were all there, and I was looking over there work and stuff because I was doing a pastor thing, but they let me build a house, and she went upstairs into our room, and, and our room was going to be kind of big, and, and, and it was going to be really nice, and, and I, 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 she said, how's it going? I said, it's going great. She said, I'm going to go upstairs. I said, please don't go upstairs. She said, I'm just going to go upstairs, just look around, talk to Melvin. It's like, you don't need to talk to Melvin. Don't talk to Melvin, and then she left. And then I went upstairs, and Melvin said, you know, your wife came up here. I said, I know. I said, what did she say? She said she wanted that wall moved eight feet back. The one that was already done, didn't have drywall on it. I said, are you serious? I said, Melvin, we are not moving that wall. He said, Joe. He was Amish. He said, Joe, we're going to move the wall. <laughs> <laughs> they moved the wall. It was a wonderful house because I love her. I will move the wall. 
Because that's what compromise is about. Not my way. Not your way. Our way. And it builds a strong marriage. It builds a strong friendship. It Compromise builds a strong relationship. And so you compromise. Inconvenient compromise means mutually satisfactory. Not I win. The easiest way to tell when somebody walks in our, our office offices and says, hey, we're having a struggle, here's the deal. And it's usually he always gets what he wants or she always gets what she wants and it goes back and forth and back and forth. And we always end up asking this question. She came up with this question when we were talking one night at dinner or something. She said, let's start asking people, if you're having a discussion and something has to happen, who always gets their way? Because that's the person that's trying to control the relationship. Car, house, doesn't matter what it is. Do you always get your way? Well, because I'm smarter. Listen, I love you, but probably not. You're just a different kind of smart, honestly. You're just a different kind of smart. And sometimes it's appropriate to say, let's esteem that other person better than myself. The last thing is that a great marriage is built on inconvenient love. What is it about marriage that makes it great, that makes it the real deal? It's love. When you understand that love is a verb, and not a feeling. The feeling is lust. And appropriate lust is not wrong. Hey, I saw Janice over there, and she's kind of hot. And wow, kind of like her. I'm getting ready to go talk to EKU college students at FCA tomorrow night. We're going to talk about sex. We are. We're talking straight up about relationships and sex. And I sent the information that I have into the guy that leads that ministry on campus, and he didn't respond. So I texted him about an hour later. I said, hey, did you get my stuff? He said, yeah, I got your stuff. I said, are you okay? He said, I trust you. <laughs> we just got to talk straight, man. We just got to say it. Love is not sex. Sex is sex. Love is what you do for somebody. It's not what you do to somebody. We've made it that. And it can be that if you're doing it for them. But love is what you do for somebody. Jesus on the cross died for us. That's love. Not Jesus on the cross. He had gooey feelings for us. He said, oh, look how pretty they are. He didn't say that. He got beat beyond recognition, and he said, this is love. I'm doing this for you. That's love. If you want to say I love you, do something for that person. Write a poem, get them a card, mow the lawn, switch out the light socket switches or whatever in your house that are going crazy. Get some new carpet, go on a vacation that he or she's been wanting to take forever. Just finally decide, you know what, it doesn't have to be all my way. And yes, it will cost money, and money can't be the most important thing. The relationship is the most important thing. And that means an inconvenient love, a love that yields. These are the lies of marriage that you've been told over and over and over again. These are the straight-up lies. Are you ready? That a great marriage is when you can just be whoever you want to be. Marriage means you're not going to just be whoever you want to be. You're not just going to run around with the guys like you used to. You're not going to run around with the girls like you used to. You're not going to shop all day long just because you want to. You might have to do the laundry, and I'm not making a gender statement there at all. That's what it means. The lie is there's a special someone out there for me. No, there's not. There's a covenant and a commitment that comes across your lip, and there's whether you're going to keep it or not. That's what it is. The lie is that marriage should be about making me happy. Listen, love is not about being happy. 
But happiness comes when you find love. I'm talking about the doing part for other people. Okay? The lie is that marriage is about him or her doing what I want them to do. No, that's a dictatorship. Marriage should mean that I don't have to change. Marriage means you have to change or you can't become one. <laughs> it doesn't happen. Marriage means I'm the man, I decide. No. Marriage means you get down and wash her feet because that's what Jesus did. Marriage means you give up your throne to serve rather than to be served. The lie is you shouldn't lose your identity in marriage. No. Two become one, and sooner or later you've been married long enough that when you look over, you see yourself in that person's face. I just do. I wake up and I see Janice on the pillow. And it's me. It's us. It's we. It's not the kids. If you can't go on a date without your kids, you have a problem. I love you and I'm not being mean and nasty. You need to get help. You do. You want a solid marriage and a great family? Then love your spouse more than those kids. And, and for goodness sakes, do not live your life to be their best friend. You're called to be their parent. They're going to look you in the eye and say, I hate you. Don't get wound up. Give them a sucker and they'll love you like waves blown about on the ocean. It's circumstantial. It's going to be okay. The truth is, great marriages happen when people believe the same thing about those vows. That's when a great marriage takes place. Great marriages happen when couples work it out so that they both win for both of them. Great marriages happen when they choose to enjoy each other's company. Leave your cell phones in the car when you're on a date. Great marriages happens when it isn't about sex, it's about forever. Great marriages happen when there is compromise. Great marriages happen when you aren't being somebody's mom or dad in the relationship. I didn't marry my wife because I needed a mother. She didn't marry me because she needed a father. We wanted to be each other's partners, equals, egalitarians. I'm still pretty patriarchal, I get it, but it's a role, and I'll, I'll submit that role any given day to her. The lie is that two cannot, or can become one without losing your identity, and that's not true. The truth is that great marriages happen when you love like Jesus, when you sacrifice like Jesus, when you serve like Jesus, and when you celebrate like Jesus. Because we need to celebrate more. John said that love is a verb when he said, my little children, he's talking to the church, my little children, let us not love in word or in tongue, but in deed and in truth. Don't let love be about what you're feeling, he's saying, or what you say. Let love be about what you're willing to sacrifice and do for one another. Let it be about that. Maybe you're not going to go out to your special place for dinner. Maybe you're not going to buy that car. Maybe you are going to buy that car. Maybe you are going to move to that house or that neighborhood. My wife got her PhD 
when we came here from um, uh, UK. And she wanted her professorship. And you only get that by using your PhD. A PhD does not make you a professor. You have to have so many years teaching to do that at a university. And I wanted to see her dream come true. But there were no jobs around here. And it just so happened that you know, she could see that there were other ones around the nation. And she didn't say, hey, we're going to go do that. You're coming with me or this relationship's over. Yet people do that. See, it's about us. And I hope it is for you. If you've been in a relationship, I've got no rocks to throw at you. I, honestly, I really don't. There's an ideal and we miss it sometime, but own your part of it. Ask God's forgiveness and then, for, for goodness sakes, do it right. Learn something. Okay? The second thing is, maybe you're looking for a relationship. If your whole life right now is looking for a relationship, you're going to get in the wrong one. I, I promise you. You're needy. And you will become a target from somebody that wants to use you. Don't live. Need. There is more to life than being married. Quit making that your whole life. And number three, if you are in a marriage right now, man, make it the best thing possible. Let it be a reflection of your relationship to Christ. Either of those circumstances, any of those situations, these people are here to pray for you. Can we pray for you? Is your marriage going through a struggle? Is it kind of hard right now? Have you made marriage the idol in your life because you've got everything else and now you just need that special someone? Can we pray for you? Seriously. And if you've been through a broken relationship, can we pray over that? Can we ask God's blessing in these areas of your life? Can we do that? We're going to sing this song and these people are up here to pray for you and more will come and we had a great time of ministry in the last service it just kept going i just want to invite you you can come up here during this next song and just say you know what today i want prayer whatever it is it's between you and god let's come to our feet and let's sing this song. thank you jesus